if you had to take a guess at what every human being is ultimately seeking, one word, you don't have to shout it out, but in your head, what would you say it is? What, what are people seeking from life? One word you could use to describe it is happiness. Happiness, right? I mean, really, at, at the heartbeat of all humanity, happiness is why people get out of bed. It is what they live for. Listen to a man named Blaise Pascal. If the Lord would have given us a son, and we, I really wanted that, but he said no. Um, I would have named him Blaze, but my wife probably wouldn't have let me, and she would have won that argument. Um, but I do love the name Blaise Pascal. Now, this guy was a French mathematician theologian, right? That's a pretty cool title. But listen to what he says on the subject of happiness. He says, all men seek happiness. Here he means men and women, humanity. All men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they use, they all tend to this end. The cause, listen to this carefully, the cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it is the same desire in both, to be happy. This is the motive of every action of every man, even those who hang themselves. That quote has haunted me much of my life. And I've thought about it, I have chewed it over, and it is true as true can be when I think about humanity through the lens of Scripture. And we know this intuitively. We do know this. Whether You're like, I don't know if I believe that. Well, just think about what you've done so far today, right? Everything you've done, for the most part, has been in an attempt to make you happy, right? You either have hit the snooze. How many snooze button people do we got? Okay. You did that because you thought that would make you happy. I'll get a little more sleep, right? Okay, there's a couple like, I don't know if I want to admit this, but then they're like late, and they put their hand up. Um, those who did not hit the snooze, right, because you're very disciplined. You think that's going to make you happy. Some of you made coffee. Some of you made tea. You didn't do that to cause yourself to suffer. You did that because you thought it might help me be a little more happy this morning. You fed yourself, probably. You enjoyed a shower, hopefully. Um, you brushed your teeth. We pray, right? You combed your hair, you brushed your hair, you braided your hair, you put on some, or by the way, I see some people shaking their head, like, no, I didn't do any of that. All right, you're called crunchy in the culture now, right? I don't brush my teeth, I don't shower, I don't do these things. But even that you did, because you thought that would actually make you happy, and you might be disagreeing with that, but I would love to have that conversation another time. You put on something probably that made you feel good. It might not look good, but it makes you feel good. And if you can, for the rest of the day, guess what you'll do? You'll spend time doing things that make you happy. Even if, by the way, because I can hear it right now, oh, my day's going to be miserable. But you're doing it because you think at the end of the day, it's actually going to help you make someone happy who you desire to be happy. Why? So that you can be happy. Think about it. Think about it. It's really true. What would make you happy? That's a good question. You probably think about it often. You might not present it that way. But what would make you happy? I'm sure it's grown throughout the years. I remember being young. I thought a Nintendo would make me happy. And it did for a short time. Um, I, I used to think all these things like, oh, Lord, just give me this girl. I remember praying that once. I didn't even know the Lord. Uh, but I thought, well, but if you would do that, then I'd be happy. And then there's a country song. Thank God for unanswered prayers. Um, We've often thought this throughout our lives. What would make me happy? In 2017, Netflix had, a, had released a documentary, and it was entitled Expedition Happiness. Has anybody ever seen it? Okay. Well, I did, and I love watching documentaries. And here's what it's about. It's, 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 a, it's a documentary, a film, about a filmmaker and his girlfriend who's a a musician and they have a dog and they refurbish a school bus and it's pretty bougie I mean it's actually really nice right you think school bus why would you do that but it's sharp and they plan to travel all across America through Canada down the west coast and into Mexico and all these different places on a search to find happiness so picture it right you got two very free spirits one dog traveling the vast spaces of an enormous continent to find happiness 
Question, did they find it? Answer, no. No, they did not. They quickly realized that travel and life in general is not always easy. Things do break, right? Things don't always go as you plan. And and so as they were crossing the border, they were whining about the border crossing. The U.S. is taking way too long. They're traveling with a sick dog. The dog's sick. It's ruining our day. And on and on and on. And they're not getting along. And so now they have a greater understanding of U2's one song, right? I still haven't found what I'm looking for. How many times have you been there? Now, here's the the subtle lie that you and I believe. We believe, well, that's them. But if I had, I mean, first off, I wouldn't go school bus route. If I had, right, and you fill in the blank. If I had these things, well, I would find what I was looking for, and I would be happy. And my guess is for a moment, for a moment, but not long term. But I'll concede that you might be able to do better than a couple crunchy hippies in a school bus. You might be actually able to find happiness for a moment more. But what about King Solomon? Think you can beat him? I mean, I've heard him deemed as the wisest fool that ever lived. And when you read Ecclesiastes, you can't help but see it, right? Um, He's not a couple free-spirited hippies looking in a school bus to find happiness. This man has everything. The phrase, it is good to be king, he would understand. He's king. So let's follow the journey through the text today and see if he's finding happiness. So we're going to pick it up in Ecclesiastes 1.12. We're going to look through 12 through 18 for now. And what I want you to notice is there's been a baton passed off. The narrator's gone and steps to the stage, the preacher. And here's what the preacher says. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. Notice, it says he applied his heart to seek out, to search. By what? Notice his first search is out by wisdom, all that is done under heaven, or you could say under sun. He's still saying in this world. And and look at his conclusion. He gives us a conclusion very quickly. It is an unhappy business that God has given the children of man to be busy with. I've seen everything that is done under the sun, and still, behold, all is vanity. It's all striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I've acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge, and I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and to know folly. And I perceived that this also is but a striving after the wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. And now every child has their favorite verse in the Bible. Mom, dad, not going to study. Solomon and the Bible have told me, the more I know, the more sorrowful I become. So ignorance is bliss, and therefore that's the path I choose. Well, let's hold on. So this little summary introduction, he gives us a bit of a spoiler, doesn't he? He he, he tells us right off the bat, there's many frustrations that you're going to encounter on this quest to find happiness and meaning under the sun. Notice the first place that he goes. Well, let's see if there's any happiness or, or meaning or life to be found in wisdom. That's where he goes. So he turns to higher learning, right? He goes to Jerusalem high. But, but notice, he got the best teachers. He got the best education. And, and he sought out everything. And he found, no, here's his conclusion. Listen again. For in much wisdom is much vexation, meaning annoyance or frustration, And he who increases in knowledge increases in sorrow. See, the kind of wisdom that the preacher had in mind was not a divine wisdom that comes from heaven and from above, but comes from the world. Comes from the world. But they might have been teaching the Bible. We don't know. But but what was the problem? What was his problem? Here's his problem. What is crooked cannot be made straight. And what is lacking cannot be counted. Uh, We get this, right? We, we all have things in our lives that are crooked. That we just think, man, if I could just straighten this out, life would be so much more enjoyable. And, and, and let's be honest, it would be. Strained relationships, unspoken words, 
Words that you may have spoken you wish you would not have. Dreams that never came true. Maybe dreams that you actually didn't seek to live out. Now you have regret. Moral failures, financial troubles, physical disabilities, right? Like horrible decisions made by us. Maybe they weren't made by us. Maybe horrible decisions made by uh, the leadership within a government that causes all the people to suffer and you want to straighten it out. And you can't. Many of the things that cause us to be heavy-hearted, right, tears, misty-eyed, right, those things that cause us that moment of grief, we can't straighten out. Learning more worldly wisdom won't help you. I don't care how many degrees you get. You can't fix it. The high school dropout, the Ivy League professor, both will shed tears in their life over many things that they themselves cannot straighten out. And it happens. The great rap theologian, Biggie, said, Mo money, mo problems. But if you look, Solomon's saying, Mo knowledge, mo sorrow. Is that true? I think it is. Ignorance is bliss. Thursday, we were getting together as some guys and we were talking about this. Boy, as, as children, you were just kind of, hopefully, I know some of you had your innocence stolen very young. So I know this isn't true for everybody. But for the most part, what do you know? I know a bologna and cheese ketchup sandwich on Wonder Bread is fantastic, Mom. I know that's wonderful. Now as an adult, I'm like, mm, not so much. Not so much. I've, I've had crab legs. I've had steak. I've had lobster. It's okay every once in a while. Not every day. That's what we got. I used to think SpaghettiOs were good. They're disgusting. If you like it, they are. It's, it, it, they were always disgusting, but I didn't know. I just didn't know. It looks like canned dog food. It's so nasty. Right? Ignorance really is bliss. And we know it. So the conclusion. Verse 13, he says, It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I mean, the writings in Ecclesiastes are shocking. You know, John Lennon once said, I thought I'd throw this in for my friends who are like, I don't know who Biggie is. Right? <laughs> But I know there's some of you who really enjoy the Beatles, Kevin, and um, he, he said this, Kevin, you may know this one. When I was five years old, my mother always told me that happiness was the key to life. When I went to school, they asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up. I wrote down, happy. They told me I didn't understand the assignment. I told them they didn't understand life. so true. He did not find happiness either. Is he still alive? Yeah, I don't know. Um, Solomon is still on the quest to find happiness. So he packs up his stuff. He departs Jerusalem high, and where does he go? Hedonism high. Hedonism high. Education didn't get me there. Let's see if I just throw off all restraints. Notice, we're going to look at Ecclesiastes 2, 1 through 11 now. And here's what I want you to notice. I want you to notice all the eyes. Like eye, not like eyeballs. Right? Notice how singular the speech is. I said in my heart. Come now. I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, he doesn't even let us, like, come on, man, can't you just go down the road a little further? Nope, I'm going to let you know right off the bat. I'm going to tell you all the things I did, but I want you to know right off the bat. Spoiler alert, he doesn't give you that warning. It doesn't do it. Behold, this also was vanity. I, I said of laughter, it's mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched my heart to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold of folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks. Notice all the plurals. I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest, the growing trees. I bought male and female servants and had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possession of herds and flocks, more than any who had come before me in Jerusalem. I'd also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and providence. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great. And I surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. And my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. 
I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and all the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and striving after the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. <laughs> I mean, his quest, listen, his quest for happiness has led him to pursue it in, just notice a couple of them, comedy, right? Who here likes like stand-up comedy? Most of it's, it's not great, but some of it's hilarious. I was watching a Jerry Seinfeld stand-up yesterday, and the guy's brilliant. He's just brilliant. I thought he's amazing. So he's like, I like that. He didn't have Netflix. He didn't have Netflix. He didn't have all the stand-up comedians at a touch of a button. So he just brought them in. Just bring them in. Fly them in. Get them here. Oh, they didn't have a plane. I don't care how you get them. Get them here. Right? Comedy. Music. Who here likes music? Right? Everybody loves music. This would have been a real, real rare treat. But we're spoiled. We got this little thing we hold in our hand and we touch it and it plays amazing music from all over the world. He, he wouldn't have been able to do that. What would he have to do? He'd just bring in bands. Bring in musicians. Entertain me. Get a comedian up there. This is his life. Alcohol, Solomon had the best wine. He, matter of fact, on the eastern side of Jerusalem, you'd find what's called Solomon's Pools. I got to see them. They're pretty cool. And, and it was an irrigation system. And it was to make sure that the vines had enough water so they could grow grapes. Why could he grow grapes? Because he loved grape juice. And he liked it if it was fermented. And it became wine right? And so he would have parties. And you can read all about this in 1 Kings, and you can see how much his provision was given. With, we're not saying, hey, let's, let's, let's roast a little pig, let's smoke a pig. No, he would slaughter cattle and throw parties that were so great that the queen, she was like, I got to go see this thing. And she would come up. And these were like ragers that went on for days and days. And it would say how much this would be. And it was extravagant, extravagant. What's even close to that today? I heard someone say Puff Daddy, right? Puffy throws the best parties, they say. Everyone, that's what I heard. I've never been to it. I've not been invited. But they say Puffy throws the best parties and he, and everyone has to wear all white. I find that so interesting. It's a strange thing. Everybody has to wear all white. He's, he's, what's he trying to do? He's trying to create a transcendent moment. Projects. Notice all the plurals, houses, vineyards, gardens, parks, trees, pools, possessions. I mean, this is lifestyles of the rich and famous for those who remember that show. And for those who don't, MTV Cribs. And for those who don't remember that, I got nothing for you. Right? You're going to have to help me write the sermon, right? Because once it gets beyond that, I just don't, I just don't know. How about pleasure, sex? He, Solomon had 700 wives. He had 300 concubines. Concubine harems. I won't go into great detail, but let me, let me say this. It makes Hugh Hefner look like a pimpled-faced boy in junior varsity. Oh, you have like seven girls with blonde hair. I have a thousand. Of all colors, shapes, and sizes at his disposal. He did it all. He, he's not in a school bus traveling one continent. He did it all. And he did it bigger and better than any of you will ever be able to do. I can say that with full confidence. Well, you don't know me. I have a bright future. You might, but you're not going to be king. You're not going to understand this kind of wealth. You're not going to understand this kind of privilege. I guarantee it. Oh, you don't know me. They told me if I just believe it, I can be anything I want. You can't be this. I guarantee it. It's not going to happen. Oh, you're such a dream crusher. I know. What does he say? All was vanity. All was striving after the wind. There was nothing to be gained under heaven. Which is why, listen, the only thing worse, listen to this, the only thing worse than your dreams not coming true is having all your dreams come true and realizing you're still not satisfied. But if I just had this, how many times have you said that? Then I would be filling the blank. You get that? It's not enough. It's not enough. Which is why point one is this. And you're like, point one, yep. First one always takes the longest. Real and lasting happiness is not gained through wisdom, pleasure, work, or possessions. Do you believe it? I mean, we know it. We know this is true. 
Yet it does not stop our insatious desire and search for more and more stuff that we already have. I mean, consumerism is the, the heartbeat of America for the most part. I mean, it's the dominant belief in our society that more and more stuff that I already have will make me happy. It's not the iPhone 6, it's the iPhone 6B. I don't even know how they say it anymore. Like, what, what, I don't even know what number we're on right now. But let me tell you, they're impressive. The, the camera on that thing is like, it's better than most people's cameras that are like huge and you can't fit it in your pocket. I mean, they make you look like you're actually good at taking pictures, right? You just hold it up and it does all the work. Boom, there it is. It's pretty impressive, right? It's, it's a computer in your hand. It's more than that. You can talk to people across the world. You can shoot them a text. You can call them up. You can FaceTime. You can see their face. And, and we think... That, that would make me happy to be able to do that. Then you get that and you're like, well, but now the new one's out. I got to have that more. I mean, I was in business for so many years. I, I, my friend Ryan, I lock eyes with him right now. This is marketing 101. This is exactly what you need until you have it. And then we bring out version number 7,000. And now you're like, I got to have that. But I thought if it's 6999 would work, you'd be happy. Well, I, I was. But you didn't tell me that one was new. And this is us. <laughs> All it shows us is we're so unsatisfied. You, know, you and I don't buy out of need almost always. We buy out of want. We buy out of boredom. How many people have ever bought out of boredom? The rest of you, your arms don't work. Or you're lying. Which, Jesus died to save liars, so you're welcome. I'm a liar too. It's insanity to think an iPhone's going to make you happy. Happiness doesn't come through possessions and experience alone. I'm not saying it won't make you happy. Oh gosh, when I got my new phone this year, it made me happy. And now it's slow and it's old and it's got too much memory on it. I got to talk to Jake and we got to clean it up, right? He'll help me. We'll limp along, buddy. This is why depression has, has become so common in our age. Seriously, listen, um, some are calling our current age, the age of melancholy, right? Uh, in contrast to the age that came before us, which was called the age of anxiety that followed World War II. We're called the age of melancholy. And, and it's so true. You can see it. Well, if you, if you don't believe it's true, maybe you'll believe Solomon as he continues. Let's look at just a, Ecclesiastes 2, 12 through 23. So I turned, he, okay, I thought you already considered wisdom. I did, but maybe I, maybe I missed something. So he turns back around, and he's going back to wisdom. You ever done that? I, I had to screw something up in my calculations. I need to go back, and I need to read it. There's got to be something I've missed. So I turned to consider wisdom, madness, and folly. Let's throw them all in a blendo. Blendo. I don't know how to speak. A blender. Hit a button. Make it go. I combined all of that in one word. I do that. It's Anyway. What comes out? Well, what, what can the man who, who comes after the king? Only what has already been is done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly. And there is more gain in light than in darkness. Listen, he says, the wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. So here's the first scene that we see where there's, there's a little bit of gain. There's a little light that's shining in. And what's he saying? Well, I, th I think John Wayne can help us. He's saying life's hard, but it's harder if you're stupid. That's what John Wayne said. That's exactly what he's saying. He says, there is gain in, in, in not being dumb. But it's still, it's not, just keep listening because it's still going to be hard. It's just harder if you're dumb. Okay. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For, for the wise, for of the wise, as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that all the days must come along, will have long been forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. See his problem? It's death. Death is the great equalizer. And look what he says. So I hated life. You have to posit that. Don't, don't read the Bible cold. Have you ever been there? Don't answer that out loud. But, but have you ever just been there? You're just so weary. I just hate life. 
Why? Because what is done under the sun was grievous to me. For all is just vanity. What's the meaning? What's the point he's saying? It's a striving after the wind. I hated all my toil, in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And, and who knows whether he will be wise or a fool? Yet he'll be master of all for which I've toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This is also vanity. You see his point? I've worked so hard for this just to give it over to people who, don't, who actually don't appreciate any of my work. And you're just going to blow it. You're just going to blow it. You're just going to mess it up. Maybe you'll be wise. Maybe. Probably not. Probably not. In Solomon's case, he knew it wasn't. I mean, <laughs> and if you keep reading the Bible, you can find out. Um, yeah, they blew it. It's also vanity. So I turned about and I gave my heart up over to despair, over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not work or toil for it. This also is vanity. It's a great evil. What has a man from all his toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and even his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. You ever been there? Just laying, exhausted, can't sleep. It's tossing, turning, ceiling fan, clicking. It's not cool enough. It's too cool. It's too warm. Here are the neighbors. There's a rager down the street. That's my experience. <laughs> but that's not what keeps you up most often. It's your thoughts of all the things that are crooked in life that you can't straighten out. This is also vanity, he says. <laughs> oh, the great equalizer. Death. That's it. Live wisely or live like a fool. You choose. And what he's saying is under the sun, it doesn't actually matter very much because the very intelligent and the village idiot will both be dressed up like a clown and chucked in the ground. It's what he's saying. What's the point then? Why, why work so hard? Nobody escapes death's clutches. And nobody wants to think about it. You don't, I mean, honestly, you don't want to think about it. You're like, oh man, I really wish we were in like Philippians, right? That's the book of joy. Blaise Pascal once again said, As men have not been able to cure death, misery, or ignorance... They have taken to not thinking about them so as to become happy. And we know this is true. It's true for you. It's true for me. Heck, we do this. Every one of us. Each of us at times refuse to think about the thing that's staring us right in the eyes. Stress, anxiety, bills, conflict, projects. Ugh, I hate projects. They're simple, but in my mind, they're not simple. They overwhelm me, and then they stare at me. I got this little project I've been trying to needing to do and haven't been doing it, and there it is. Busy yourself, Scott, with books. I do. We fill our lives with other things. I don't know what it is for you, but it's something. Well, there's a man who summarizes Blaise Pascal's teaching on this, and I want you to listen very carefully to what he says. If you are typically modern... Your life is like a mansion with a terrifying hole right in the middle of the living room floor. So, you paper over the hole with a very busy wallpaper pattern to distract yourself. You find a rhinoceros in the middle of your house. The rhinoceros is wretchedness and death. How in the world can you hide a rhinoceros? Easy. Cover it with a million mice. Multiple diversions. Uh, I don't know if you get what he's saying, but we know this to be true. You and I have millions of mice covering the thing we don't want to look at all the time. And, and our mice are, are TikTok and Netflix and work and projects and hobbies and vacation and shopping and on and on and on. All the while, there it is, staring at you. But here's the problem. If you live life long enough, we all know it. The, the rhino will shake off the mice and he will stare you right in the eyes. And you won't know what to do with it when he's looking at you. So what happens in that moment, that next moment is very critical. What do you do with the rhino that's staring at you? 
Some give in to despair and they commit suicide. That's what Blaise Pascal was saying earlier. And he and that person, and by the way, I don't say it's very detached. I want you to know my family has many people, more than I want to think about, who have taken that path. So it isn't like, oh, you're saying that from a cold stance. I'm not saying it from a cold stance. I'm saying that from a stance who understands, at some level at least. They think it will make them happy because the pain's too unbearable. Well, think about the people who have done that when we looked at the categories that we thought would make us happy. Robin Williams once said, I used to think the worst thing in life was to end up alone. It's not. The worst thing in life is to end up with people who make you feel alone. He couldn't take it anymore. Chris Cornell, I think one of the greatest singers ever. You'll disagree, most of you. Once said, I'm looking California and feeling Minnesota. It's an artsy twist on saying, I know you think I'm happy. I'm dreary. He fooled them all until... He couldn't do it any longer. How about a successful guy named Adolf Merkel? You're like, who's that? Well, he was a German entrepreneur. Um, At one point, he was the fifth richest man in Germany. And you're like, well, is that a big deal? It is $9.2 billion. It's a pretty big deal. He lost much of what he had because he made a bad investment with Volkswagen. I personally like my 2014 Jetta. I hope it keeps running. His last words that he wrote to his family were this, I'm sorry. That's it. That's all they got. I'm sorry. Why did he say that? Because he thought what he was was his money. And he failed them. And he couldn't bear it any longer. Others, though, so that's that's one path. I hope none of you ever choose it. But in a sheer moment of grace, there's another path way to go and that's the way that ecclesiastes will teach you if you'll pay attention if you stay in the chair and if you won't get out of it and what i mean by that is you just got to stay in the seat i know it's uncomfortable i feel it right now by some of you looking at me but sometimes medicine don't taste great going down but it brings the healing you need so stay in the chair with me okay the other way is a profound moment of grace that comes in And it says, we are going to die. We are going to die. So you can stop expecting too much from the good things in life. Because they make horrible gods. Which is point two. Earthly pleasures are a gift from God. Not God. Not God. Do you see the problem? I I hope you do. All of Solomon's attempts to find happiness have failed because he was attempting to to find happiness under the sun, removed from God. He was trying to recreate Eden. I mean, just look at the text. Look at the text. I need a garden. I need pools. I need life. Happiness was never going to be gained under the sun because it has to be given by the Son of God. It's a gift. It's not about gaining. It's about receiving. Oh, if you could get that, your life, your circumstances might not change, but your perspective on it all would change in a heartbeat. I I pray you do. I've been praying that you would. I pray that I do. Solomon was trying to recreate God's good, perfect world, but the problem was he's trying to do it in a fractured world. Imagine just taking a mirror and smashing it into a thousand pieces. You could pick up all the pieces and put them back in place and slap some glue on it, but you're going to look at it and it's all going to be distorted. You might see something in there reflecting back at you, but it is not the way it was intended. And you and I know it. And Solomon and you and I, we are all fractured image bearers. We're made in God's image. Therefore, we, all humans, have intrinsic value. All humans are worth fighting for. The one in the womb, the one outside the womb, every one of them are worth your blood, sweat, equity, and giving yourself to save. But I want you to know, they are fractured. We are fractured image bearers. Which means we are, in a sense, sometimes... We've got some goodness that will show up. But guess what? At the core of who we are, apart from God, you and I are fallen and sinful. And we will take gifts that were given by God and we will try to make them God. 
It's idolatry. That's what he's, that's what he's wrestling with. Do you see, I mean, our happiness problem really is a worship problem. It's a worship problem. Think about where all your time, your money, your thought, your energy goes. And I'll tell you right now, almost always, that's what you worship. I don't care if you come here on Sunday or not. Where are you trying to find life? Romans 1, 21 through 25 says this, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise. Oh, we live in a world that claims to be wise. They became fools and exchanged the glory of an immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Why? Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Every human you meet is a religious person. I promise you. And what do I mean by that? Meaning every human being worships. Everyone. Last night there was a huge worship event. You maybe went to it, and if you did, you looked very good. Guess what it was called? Kenny Chesney. <laughs> Kenny Chesney. Most that were there don't look as good as you this morning. I, I'm telling you, I went to a Kenny Chesney concert once. I'm not, I'm not like a fun buster, like, don't go see country music. No, go. I, I saw him before he became all the thing, and Keith Urban opened for him. It's like, that's how old that was, right? Um, <laughs> But, but people were taking their boats and parking them on the river starting Monday for the concert that was Friday for this worship event. And they sacrificed time, energy, talent, money. I mean, you name it for a transcendent moment with the man who's made in God's image and will push up daisies and become worm food one day. Now, you can do that as a Christian, but, but roll it up. Roll it up to the, to the God who created a Kenny Chesney. And don't give yourself the debauchery and just say, thank you, Lord, for music. And thank you for this moment. And thank you for friends to enjoy this moment with. But it will make a horrible God. Everyone worships someone or something. What, what happens when people refuse to worship and to depend on God as God? Well, I'll tell you, we don't ever stop worshiping. You just move on to something else. We just change the object of our worship. When you stop worshiping God, you don't stop worshiping. You just go somewhere else. We must worship someone or something. It's hardwired in us. You can't not do it. We were created to worship the Creator. So if we reject Him, guess what? We'll worship something else. And that's what we see here. Comedy, music, wine, work, possessions, sex. By the way, all of these things are legitimate pleasures. And they are gifts from God and enjoyed when in right relationship to His revealed Word. I mean, sex is a gift between a man and a woman in the confinements of marriage. We shouldn't be ashamed to say that as Christians. It's a gift from God, but it's not God. Food's a gift from God, but it's not God, right? Like music, I love music. You'd be hard-pressed to find someone who loves music more than I love music. But but it makes a horrible God. So so then what's, what's the point? The point is all these things are meant to be received and enjoyed, not controlled and worshiped. And that's what we want. We want to control it. We want to be God. We want to be God. Oh, that's what it means when we want to straighten it out. You don't know what you're doing. If I was in charge, I would straighten this out and my life would be better. I find it so amazing that the church right now is all over 
Facebook and every other place just ripping the shreds because it's Pride Month. Can I just say where we stand with that very clearly? I want you to know that we align ourselves with the clear teaching of the Bible, that it is between man and a woman in the confinement of marriage. But can I just tell you, I find it shameful that the church goes and attacks every person that's living outside the confinements of the clear written scripture found in the word, especially on something that they won't struggle with themselves. But the big old telephone sticking outside their eye that says self-righteous on it, that they bump everyone else in the head with, with their rainbow colored speck sticking out of their eye they don't find that to be a problem they just worship different than you and I and sometimes your worship that isn't worship finds itself to be culturally acceptable so no one talks about that so then preachers get online and they start blasting people and everybody starts applauding and saying oh get them pastor you're speaking truth now no you're getting the applause of fools while people around you are dying, going to hell, because they rebelled against God, and so did you. And you wouldn't be worshiping God if God in his kindness didn't send Jesus to die for sinners to bring you into a right relationship with him either. So you ought to get off your high horse and get on your face and see the mockery you're making of the gospel every time you do that. Because you're not helping anyone. Instead, I got an idea. Invite them to your home. Befriend them. Make them a meal. Love them. Serve them. And tell them about the God who sent his son to die for them. That's not in the notes. Last point. Real and lasting happiness is received as a gift from God. It's received. It's received. Oh, if you're here and you know Christ as your Savior, it's been a gift that God has given you. It's not because you're smart. It's not because of any other reason other than God loves to save sinners, and that's all there is. It's all there is. Ecclesiastes 2, 24 through 26 says, there is nothing better for a person that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in all his toil. This also I saw from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat and who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him. Who pleases God, by the way? That's a good question. You should be thinking about it. You should want to know it. You should want to please God. Hebrews tells us it's those who have faith in God, who trust him. That is how you please God. It's by trusting in him. Well, we, we're not left with just Ecclesiastes, so trusting in him in what? Primarily in the good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus lived the perfect life that you and I could never live. That he then willingly died the death you and I deserve to die. And in that moment, what he did is he took on all of our sin and placed it upon himself willingly and received the punishment that our sins deserve. He, he received the wrath of God for our sins, our sins, your sin, my sin. And he went to the grave and he died. But because he is the perfect God-man, the grave could not hold him. And so he triumphantly resurrected from the grave and he defeated in that moment Satan, sin, and death. And he created a way for sinners to be reconciled with a holy and perfect God. And when, when we receive this gift, by faith, by trusting in what God has provided for us, not what we earn. Salvation comes through repentance, not repayment. We turn from our sin. We trust in God's provision. We receive this gift of salvation. And in that moment, we have life with God. You're born again. And you now have been completely perfectly washed clean of all your sins past present future you are as white as snow you are fully forgiven you are completely forgiven and guess what you're made righteous you're made righteous so so that means that when you stand in the courtroom of heaven you'll hear the the gavel be banged and you'll say you're innocent and it's not because you're good 
It's because Christ is perfect. And his account is reckoned to me. How? By faith. By faith. And by faith alone. By grace alone. In Christ alone. Period. Otherwise, none of us would be saved. Do you notice the interesting moment in Ecclesiastes 2, 24 through 26? Here's what's interesting. From chapter 1, verse 14, to chapter 2, verse 23, God has been completely absent from the preacher's writing. But here we see a little ray of sunshine. It cracks through the window. And, and we see God's mentioned three times in a few verses. But don't miss the point. The emphasis is on this. God gives. God gives. God is not a cosmic killjoy. Oh, if I could have known that at a younger age, I always thought he was. You really just don't want me to have fun. So I ran from him, not to him. God is not a cosmic killjoy. But instead, he's actually the one, listen, and I don't remember exactly what you said, Colton, but you said, I think he has a sense of humor. I hope that's true. He does. He does. He has a sense of humor. Just look around. But you know what else he does? He loves joy. He loves happiness. He's the inventor of it. He's the inventor of it. We have been created to find, and I know this bothers some of you, that's why I do it, our happiness in the giver and not the gift. And here's what bothers some people, the word happiness. Because we've mistakenly thinking happiness and joy is something different, but the Bible knows no such thing. I don't have time to talk about that because I'm actually out of time. But if you want to talk about that, I will have coffee. We can have a little talk afterwards. I'm ready. It's the same word. We think joy is a Jesus thing because it begins with J. Happiness is a hell thing. <laughs> Fill in the blank. It's not. It's not a separate thing. It's not a separate thing at all. We find our happiness in the giver, not the gift. We worship God, not the gift. And when we do that, we find peace with God through Christ. And then in Christ is where our very rest is found. Our weary and burdened hearts seeking for happiness can finally rest in the God of joy. In the God of joy. And then and only then can we enjoy all gifts. See, eating and drinking and enjoying one's life is actually just an expression of, of the word shalom in the Bible. It's wholeness, it's happiness, it's goodness, it's enjoyment that God has intended for his creation. But we sought to find it outside of him. And it doesn't work. More about that next week. C.S. Lewis said this once. He said a lot of things. But he said, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition. When infinite joy is offered us, like ignorant children who want to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday or vacation at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. It's so true. He went on to say this, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. My friends, you and I were made for another world. And here's the beauty. The other world that we're longing for, God has promised to bring to us. Once again, it's going to be given and it'll be received to all who trust in Christ. He will make all things new. What's he saying? There's nothing new under the sun. So quit looking there to find your ultimate satisfaction. I, I do want to say one last thing and then we will finish up. I think it's ignorant of Christians to think that non-Christians or those who can, are not convinced of the gospel yet can't find enjoyment in this life. I say this because I hear people really just not thinking deeply enough. And so what they'll say is, well, if you're not a Christian, you can't actually enjoy life. I've heard that said so many times. Like, you can't actually have a good marriage. You can't actually enjoy. You would never be a good parent. Um, that's not true. I know people who are not convinced of the gospel who actually have good marriages. They do. They have, they have kids, and they love their kids. They enjoy, get this, filet mignon. Crazy, I know right? They enjoy sex with their spouse. They enjoy a good glass of cab. They, they enjoy. The problem is 
They'll never enjoy it to the fullest level it was meant to be enjoyed because marriage was given for so much more than just personal fulfillment. They'll never enjoy it to the depths that God created because it was intended to reflect him and his goodness. And so you and I, my friends, will never enjoy the things that are found under the sun until we enjoy them in right proportion to the God who gives them. Therefore, if you really want to be happy, for the people who are listening online, I did air quotes, you've got to find it in the happiness of God because that's where life is found. And you will not find happiness in this world. It will all be like sand in your mouth eventually. The question is, is will you go to the fountain of living water? Will you drink deeply? As, as my friend John Piper says, will you become a Christian hedonist? And if you don't get that, I don't care. I don't even care if you agree with that, but will you seek all your enjoyment to be found in God and then roll all of the earthly pleasures that were given as a gift to you that are legitimate back up to him in praise and thanksgiving? I hope you will because that's where happiness is found. So friends, nothing really matters but Jesus. It's true. But because of Jesus, everything matters. Get that. Because it's only in the gospel that we actually see how Jesus overcomes the problem of death and satisfaction. And so may we be people who seek him, to seek enjoyment in the things that he's given us, to not worship the gifts, but to worship the giver all the days of our lives and be a happy people, even if we have tears rolling down our face from sorrow because life under the sun is very hard. I hope you will. Psalm 1611 says this, and then we are done and I will pray. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. What's fuller than full? Nothing. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. What is longer than forevermore? Nothing. So if you really want to be happy, you can only find it in Christ. Because in Him is fullness and forever. Because He's come to give you life and give you life abundantly. So seek Him. Seek him. He desires your ultimate happiness in him. And guess what that means? He desires that you be like him. And guess what that means? <laughs> There's much work to be done. There's much work to be done. But guess what? The God who began this good work, he's faithful to bring it to completion. He will do it. He will do it. You can trust him. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are the God of all joy. Outside of you, there is no real lasting joy or happiness to be found it is all vapor it's all smoke it's all mist and it's all fleeting but in you real happiness deep joy can be found because you're the author of it and there will be a day when you return and all the things we're believing by faith right now trusting you because you are trustworthy you're worthy to be trusted you're true you do not lie you will straighten out all that is crooked. You will make all things new, and we will enjoy you forever in a new heaven and a new earth. We thank you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen.